Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to Give Them the Sports Biz. Dan Avone, like always, coming to you from San Francisco, joined by my podcast partner out in New York City. It is Matt Marino, the NFL agent, and that's a good place to start. The 2020 draft has come and gone, and believe it or not, Matt, they, first of all, how are you doing? Usually I'll, I'll get a hello out of you. Sorry. Doing, doing great, Dan. Doing great. Just coming off the draft. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you know, come and gone. But you know, for the most part, I was thinking that potentially things could really go wrong technically, but I think that, I think everybody pretty much got their players. It seemed as though people got into it and it was unusual and seeing, you know, some of these guys in the coverage of their own homes and a lot of these GMs get to break out their kids and dogs and, Belichick was kind of weird. There were some dudes who were kind of strange, and there were some things and takeaways we'll never forget. But I think that when it got down to the bottom line, if you wanted C.D. Lamb, you got C.D. Lamb. I mean, you got players, and they didn't, they didn't seem to be doing it virtually, did not seem to inhibit, or it didn't seem to stop teams from getting to that bottom line, and that is getting the players that they wanted or were on their board. But what gets really interesting is, is where you live, and that is sort of the undrafted free agents. Now, just take me through this, because typically around the sixth round, right, the phone starts to ring, yep. and the free agent is over. Then the feeding 40% of teams' roster a key, key component. But this year was challenging. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what happened in the year 2020 with virtual draft from the vantage point of being an agent representing a lot of these undrafted free agents. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. So just like you said, you know, normally the, the, the calls start coming around, you know, whether it's going to players directly to agents, um, you know, players are kind of feeling calls from, from a number of different people. They're feeling, feeling them from, from position coaches, from scouts, um, all trying to position themselves to recruit the player um, in case that player doesn't get drafted. Uh, and this year, um, you know, without having, you know, uh, verified measurables from pro days without having, um, you know, medical reports on players that didn't attend the combine. Um, one of the things that, that really were noticed was, was, well, a couple things. One is that the free agency process was just a lot shorter. It was a lot more condensed. Um, teams basically took their, you know, their target list and said, all right, you know, we're going to go, you know, shoot for these, you know, four to eight players. And, and then basically cut it off after that. Uh, and I think it happened for a couple of reasons. One, you know, just the fact that, you know, usually after the draft, uh, week after the draft, uh, about half the NFL has mini camp uh, with their rookies. So all the draft picks, all their um, signed free agents, and then they bring in about another, you know, a dozen players, you know, for the last, you know, 87, 88, 90th spot on the roster, um, just to audition. Um, at the end of those three days, you know, they're usually giving away two to three uh, what they what are considered, you know, undrafted free agent contracts at that point, basically for no signing bonus. Um, so they're getting a the player for free. Um, so one, just the need wasn't there. You weren't having those mini camps uh, this year um, and you don't have OTAs and you don't have an off season um, program this year. So you don't have, you don't need the bodies to practice as you, as you do in previous years, um, just from a physical standpoint, um, everything's virtual. Um, so, you know, a lot of teams uh, cut their roster uh, expansion uh, off at, you know, 84, 85, 86, I'd say about, uh, I think like 18 teams at last count were still around that number. Um, and then some teams also were adding veterans, veterans that they knew because, you know, look, they, instead of adding an undrafted free agent as a rookie, who you haven't, you don't have your own medical opinion on, uh, you don't have your own, 
um, verified numbers, they're going to add a veteran, a street free agent that they know um, that they have video on and they have tape on and, you know, they know is healthy. Um, so those were the, you know, the, the big factors in it this year. Um, and I think it really, you know, it probably won't um, be as pronounced until, you know, later on down the road. Cause, Cause like you said, you have about, I think it's 67% of, you know, of the NFL roster is made up on day three players um, and 40% being undrafted. You know, that might show up later on down the road where, you know, some of these guys who, you know, have draft grades on them, gradable prospects just aren't in the NFL um, or on the fringes or bouncing around from team to team or on practice squads. Um, And, you know, teams can say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's because money, it's, you know, you know, you're talking about thousand dollar signing bonuses here, you know, $5,000 signing bonuses, $7,000 signing bonuses for teams that you are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, You know, it's really just about, you know, knowing what they have in their building and knowing the players that they have in their building. Um, So they can say it's, you know, for money and, you know, they don't want to, you know, put that risk out there, uh, that financial risk out there. But, you know, in reality, it's, it's really not, you know, not so much that. Typically, and I underline the word and emphasize the word typically in an NFL season during the off season, the OTAs and those 90 man rosters that you were talking about, how many players would you estimate of those 90 man rosters are comprised of undrafted free agents? Oh, of the 90 men in the off season, um, you're talking about, you know, probably about 60 guys. Um, it is a, it's a major, major number. Um, Cause you're talking about special teamers, guys that can play, you know, core positions. Think about it, you know, in the off season, you're going through OTAs and you're going in the training camp and in training camp, you know, you have you know, all your paying players as a stipend, you're paying players. If you're a rookie, you know, about $900 a week. If you're a veteran, you're paying them about $200 a week. Um, so they're not even getting their, their traditional salary at their quote unquote paragraph five salary um, during the preseason, during training camp. So, and, and you obviously have watched those, um, you know, those preseason games, you know, the ones play for, you know, maybe two series, um, the twos are out there then maybe for, you know, two quarters and the threes and fours are playing. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, a number of players that are, that are undrafted competing for roster spots. Um, look, teams are, you know, pretty blunt about it. Some of them, you know, have no chance at making rosters, but, you know, they're just, you know, what they are. They're, they are, um, you know, at the point they're just, you know, they're extra bodies. Um, they're practice squad guys, um, you know, guys that are just, you know, taking up a, a position in, in training camp. Um, so you definitely have, you know, a substantial amount of your organization made up of those, of those players, especially uh, during training camp when you're trying to rest starters, um, a lot of times, and this, this goes for specialists, it's probably the most glaring part, you know, you'll have a, you know, a, a kicker that's been in there, a punter that's been in there for, you know, maybe a dozen years. Um, and you'll bring in a rookie, you know, just to save that guy's leg during training camp. Um, you know, that's, that's really, you know, one of the most common, you know, f- you know, kind of facets of it. Um, so yeah, you're going to, you're going to have a substantial amount of your roster made up of those guys. Um, and this year, um, you know, you, you might have some smaller rosters, 85, 86 guys, but, I think what it'll do is it'll in turn, it'll, it'll put some veterans kind of back on the, on the radar um, in the NFL guys that maybe were, you know, on the other side of their, of their, uh, you know, rope Um, guys that are a little bit, you know, on the other side of their fence, I should say, Um, you know, a little bit outside of, you know, the lead looking back in um, guys looking to to get some more stability and and maybe get, you know, another year or two uh, service time. I think it it could put some veterans in a position to, to make some extra money. And also, you would have to think that a lot of these teams are going to miss out on those undrafted free agents that could have made 
the 53-man squad or make the – I mean, how many times do we hear about it? I mean, there's – I mean, quickly it jumps to mind, Kurt Warner, or those players that were undrafted free agents that were the ultimate long shots to make the team, but because of their skills and because they come out of nowhere and they have this ability that nobody was able to see throughout their collegiate play, and they get discovered, and then voila, you know, you have a remarkable story in and of itself and a player that contributes to the team. And a lot of those guys and a lot of those stories simply won't be told because they're not going to get an opportunity this year. Is that accurate? That's a, it's very accurate, right? You're going to be, um, you know, you're, obviously you had the well-known ones, you know, the well-documented, you know, Kurt Warner, Tony Romo, uh, Arian Foster, Victor Cruz, guys like that. Um, you know, then you're, ta- you're, then you're talking about, you know, players that just were, um, you know, you know, look, you know, maybe a special teamer for, for most of their career um, or, you know, made two or, you know, $4 million, you know, playing special teams, whether I return guys as a core guy. Um, so, yeah, you know, you're going to substantially, you know, development's a big thing in the NFL, right? Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, busts or guys that, you know, end up, you know, as a first round bus, second round bus. But if you look at the flip side, you know, you have, you know, undrafted guys who, who turn into superstars. So, you know, that, that goes down to the coaching staff and, and the franchises that develop them. Um, you know, even, you know, a seventh round player like Julian Edelman, um, you know, who was a, a quarterback in college and, you know, played some, you know, returner, wide receiver, even cornerback um, for the Patriots, you know, very early on in his career until he really um, settled in as an as a every down wide receiver. Um, you know, that's obviously a credit to him, but it's also a credit to the coaching staff. And, and in this sense, you know, in, or in this case, this year, the coaching staff doesn't even get that opportunity uh, to develop those players. Um, so, yeah, you're going to see, you know, uh, rosters that, that certainly um, are, are looking very different uh, because of the way, um, you know, some of these players entered the league and, and, you know, obviously some of the players that just, you know, never even got a chance to enter the league. In a normal year, you'll have your undrafted free agents that will oftentimes get multiple offers. Was that not the case this year? Definitely not the case this year. Um, you know, you're going to have, you know, look, premier positions, you know, offensive tackle, some quarterbacks, um, you know, some wide receivers, you know, um, they're getting, you know, m- multiple offers, you know, six, seven, you know, teams that are, you know, calling with interest, um, you know, even linebackers, running backs, um, interior linemen, um, pass rushers, you know, you're, you're usually going to be deciding between three and four teams, you know, basically putting up the the offers on the board and saying, all right, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to pay $5,000, you know, signing bonus, and then another $20,000 paragraph five salary guaranteed. Um, and then, you know, Carolina Panthers are going to pay, you know, 10000 and 10000 And, you know, the Eagles might be paying, you know, 10000 and 25000 And you're looking at the depth, depth chart trying to figure out, you know, what's the best opportunity, you know, to get the snaps in the preseason? You know, where is he going to be able to get the most film? Um, and, and this year, um, you're talking about, you know, one offer across the board for, for most players. Um, you know, if that, um, you know, very few players even got multiple offers this year because teams, you know, were just, you know, taking that out of the equation. Um, I mean, if you think about it, if, if teams are ended up on 85 roster, uh, 85 man rosters um, instead of, uh, you know, uh, 90 man rosters, that's uh, 160 players that won't enter the league this year. Um, you know, 160 rookies that won't enter the league this year. So that's a pretty significant amount. Um, you know, when you, when you kind of think about it and, 
um, you know, with, without having the pro days, without having, you know, the uh, individual workouts with position coaches, you know, position coaches can't vouch for the players that they work out. And then without having 30 visits, you know, for teams to get medical information and sit down and interview the player um, and, and see how they interact with the team um, and the coaching staff in the front office, you know, it really became very difficult for these teams to evaluate uh, the players that they could, put, they could possibly have in their building. Wow, 160 undrafted free agents that won't even get a look. And you know that in that 160 pool that there are some guys that not only would have made the 53-man, but would have been impact players. But. Yeah, made practice squads. And, and also, too, you know, it's, it's 160, you know, right now. And, you know, normally in a traditional offseason, you're going to have players getting injured and players not performing up to the ability that a team thinks they could perform. So they just go to their next guy on the list or go to their target list, next man up, and say, all right, we're going to, you know, flip out player number 89 uh, for, you know, player number 93. And we're going to bring him in here and sign him, see if he does any better um, or if someone gets injured. And there's no injuries this year, um, obviously, in the offseason because there is no mini camp. There is no practice. Everything's virtual. Um, and there's certainly no, you know, evaluating players in the field. Um, so, you know, a lot of the times, you, know, you even have teams that sign players right after the draft. Um, players might go in there and fail a physical. Players might go in there, you know, 12 pounds underweight, 20 pounds underweight. Um, and the team might say, you know what, this is not what we thought. We thought we were getting, you know, a 325 pound lineman. We got a 305 pound lineman, you know, he's out and we're going to bring somebody else in and sign that other guy. Um, so yeah, you don't even have that situation this year. What was the strangest or the biggest obstacle for you as an NFL agent this year? Um, you know, I, I think this year, you know, in the pre-draft process, I think it was, you know, just, getting the communication down obviously I think the communication you know clearly the virtual draft worked well but like as we talked about in other episodes you know it was everything prior to that right so it was you know I think I think I referred to it as you know probably 30 percent of what normally uh, goes into the evaluation was able to be accomplished and I think that's what you had too you just weren't able to accomplish um, the evaluation process uh, whether it was from the agent perspective the team perspective um, player perspective, obviously. Um, so I think that was, that was still the, um, you know, the deciding factor. It's, it's everything that leads up to draft weekend um, that, you know, really was the, was a difficult part, um, you know, being able to, to fully evaluate players and you're going to even see the same, you know, problems occur for the NBA and then major league baseball. Um, if they keep their drafts, you know, around the same time, um, you know, if, if that's the decision that they make. Did you deal with specific players this year that you had intimate conversations that, listen, this is where you're going to go, or this is what we want to do on draft day, and the phone just simply didn't ring, and that these guys just are – because, I mean, of the 160, it's not as though, okay, well, maybe next year we can get you on a roster. There's going to be a whole other incoming class next year. So these guys are pretty much out scout. Did you have any conversations with players – and then because the phone never rang that you just had to distance yourself from? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that happens is that, you know, teams, like I said before, you know, teams are going to try to sell themselves to players. So they didn't change that, you know, they didn't change that aspect. You know, teams were still calling players and saying, hey, look, you know what, we have a desire to draft you. If you don't draft you, we want, we definitely are going to talk to you as a free agent. We're going to make you offer. We're going to talk to your agent. We're going to talk to you on draft day. Um, and those things just didn't happen. I mean, you know, one team called me, 
um, in the top of the seventh round saying they were going to draft a player. Um, you know, we'll think about drafting a player or possibly another player. You know, it was, it was down to those two. And they called back a couple minutes later saying they were taking player number two, not our guy. And um, you know, they ended up trading their pick and, you know, didn't call back till the end of the seventh round, um, you know, and decided not to even offer our guy. Um, so, you know, hearing that's disappointing. It's disappointing for a player too, because, you know, they're getting, you know, teams are calling them and, and kind of gassing them up and saying, Hey, look, we're going to draft you here. Or, you know, we're thinking about drafting you this weekend, you know, best of luck to you. Keep your phone next to you. Um, you know, we have you ranked on our board. Um, and then you have these conversations with, you know, other people at the on, on the team and you're like, man, this team didn't even have, you know, this guy close to the top of their board. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that teams do, you know, they're going to, they're going to start, um, you know, that process, I guess, in the week leading up to the draft or two weeks leading up to the draft where they're just completely just, you know, blown, you know, smoke up these guys, um, you know, as much as they can just to sell, just to sell them, you know, on the dream, I guess. And, um, you know, it doesn't always come to fruition. So yeah, you have to have those tough conversations with players because, you know, they are under the assumption, um, not just on what, you know, you're hearing, but from the teams directly, you know, teams, the scouts and position coaches that are reaching out to them, you know, confirming information, confirming, Hey, look, you know, stay by your phone. We have a, you know, a real interest in you, um, whether it's as a draft pick or a signing, you know, we plan on talking to you. Um, you know, that just, it's not proper and, and teams should have planned for that this year. Um, especially, um, you know, knowing that they weren't gonna be able to sign as many players as they, they had in previous years. Assuming that we return to some level of normalcy and we start playing professional sports again, I think that the consensus is that there will not be fans, at least initially. Maybe we get to a point where we got packed houses. But that being the case, do you think the teams will look to slash payrolls to compensate for their loss? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, look, the NFL obviously, you know, they had free agency already. So I don't think you're going to see too much of, a, of a, an issue there, um, at least not right away. Um, you know, and clearly NFL, you know, has, has tremendous, uh, you know, TV revenues. Um, you know, one of the things I think you might see, you know, major league baseball, um, obviously, you know, what happens, you know, in major league baseball with the service time, right. So, um, you know, and, and the service time really is, it kind of consists of a, a number of things, but, um, you know, is it, you know, if, uh, if the season, if a normal MLB season consists of 186 days, including off days and the players maximum service times 172 games, you know, then if they play, you know, a hundred game season or 90 game season, is it the same percentage? Um, you know, you know, what consists of a, of a, of a full service time now for, you know, for those young players, um, similar in basketball, um, you know, I just kind of talked about it, you know, you, you obviously have, you know, the lottery picks, um, you know, who are, uh, you know, who, you know, are going to go. And then you have, you know, the, you know, the, the, the rest of the first round and the second rounds, um, you know, those players can't do anything to kind of determine their stock. Um, you know, that, that stuff's all slotted, but it's the, it's the free agents, I think that, um, you know, could really, you know, see some difference in terms of the way they're, they're paid. You know, if, if the, um, you know, the New York Yankees, um, you know, miss, you know, let's just call it 80 home games um, or sorry, 80 games altogether. Um, the San Diego Padres miss 80 games altogether. Um, you know, their revenues are significantly different. Um, you know, the Yankees are a team that has paid the luxury tax. The Padres are one that receives some portion of the luxury tax usually. Um, so you're going to see, 
you know, ways to kind of combat that. Um, I don't know if it'll be something that's, you know, across the board, um, like you're seeing now, whether it's a a 25% cut um, until they go back to work or until games start again, um, until they resume in the NBA um, or Major League Soccer with 50%. Um, But I think you'll see it, you know, certainly in North American sports, I think you'll see it even more so in European soccer. Um, You know, the transfer market will, will certainly be affected. Um, you know, teams that normally make massive, massive revenues uh, in the transfer market, you know, 60 million euros, 90 million euros, um, won't even be able to touch that this year because, you know, there's so much uncertainty there. And, and that's not only a main source of revenue for them, but, you know, it's a, it's a supplemental source. You're, you're not only losing match day revenue and, and game day revenue, merchandise, concessions, tickets, um, sponsorships that you can, cannot, you know, um, you know, uh, basically see through because there's no games. Um, but then you're also losing, you know, money in, in the transfer market, you know, in, in European soccer. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, a major league baseball stadium and you look at the, do the outfield and you have, you know, the MetLife sign and the Budweiser sign, um, you know, and the Poland spring sign, you know, on the wall, um, you know, that's for the fans in the stadium. It's not really for the TV. So, you know, are those brands going to be really interested in paying the same money with, you know, with empty stadiums? It's, it's probably not likely. Um, and, and there should be a trickle down effect, you know, if players are playing, you know, 50% of the season, um, you know, how is it going to be handled between them and the players association to, to figure out what the correct, you know, prorated salary is going to be, um, you know, so it'll be a pretty interesting um, point when that does, you know, come to a head. Just as an overview Athletes get paid on how much revenue they generate, essentially. Yeah, it's entertainment. Yep, it is. So just to, as an example, they say that they estimate that that 40%, I'll use that as the example, that you're going to generate 40% less as a team and as a franchise because there's no gate, meaning there's no fans, there's no concessions and all the peripheral stuff that goes along with that, parking, what have you, no sponsorship revenue. So, therefore, there's some thinking that everyone's salary should be reduced by 40 cents, by 40 percent. Does that make sense on any level? I think it does. You know, I think you just think about it, you know, you know, A plus B or A minus B equals C. Um, Yeah, I I think it does. I think, you know, once, you know, you bring the Players Association into it, um, and we've talked about this, you know, one of the reasons that, like, the WWE and, you know, UFC are still going on is is because those sports don't have a union. Um, You know, they don't have a player's union and all these other sports are unionized. Um, You're going to have to, you know, come up with some kind of arrangement, you know, um, where the, uh, you know, the player's union and, and, you know, whether it's the Major League Baseball um, or the NFL or NBA, NHL, whatever it might be, um, come up with some kind of situation and an addendum or agreement to, you know, their salary compensation, you know, whether it's a 40% cut, uh, across the board. Um, but yeah, that'll have to be determined by, by obviously the players union, you know, having a say in that as well too. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, normally you would see after the NFL draft is players signing contracts, um, you know, and they're technically signing them, but you know, you, you don't really know, um, you know, what's going to be the result of them. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, just like free agents that are quote unquote signed, um, you know, some of these players that are signing contracts uh, across the NFL, um, you know, you really don't know, um, you know, when they're going to get their, uh, their pay there, when they're going to get a physical or, or anything, you know, of that nature, um, you know, certain teams might, might arrange it that, um, you know, players can take physicals in their hometown or if they're in their college town or wherever it might be. Um, but, 
but certainly um, these, these draft picks that, you know, traditionally sign, you know, shortly after the draft um, and, and then get a signing bonus within, you know, 10 to 12 days after that, um, it, it could be some time before they get, you know, before they actually get paid. One inter- interesting thing to note is the television money, because that's, let's face it, that's where the majority of the revenue comes from in the NFL and professional yeah. sports. It's those TV contracts and the networks are willing to pay billions and billions of dollars. So they can, they can take the hit if nobody's at the game. But I think what will be interesting going forward is what the perception is of people like me or you or the unwashed masses or the fan base. If you're watching a game from home and it's the NFL and nobody's at MetLife Stadium, nobody's at any of the, any of the stadiums, nobody's at Soldier Field, is that going to have some sort of an effect in terms of the viewership? and your enjoyment of the sport. Is it a sport? Is it a game? Are we just watching an exhibition? It'll be interesting to see how that's, how that's deciphered by the, the public and the fan base. Because as of right now, the television contracts are the television contracts, but then you would figure that if there are no fans there and then suddenly the viewership numbers begin to dip and suddenly they're taking a huge hit in terms of their audience, And then all of a sudden TV says, Hey, listen, we're not getting the numbers. We're not getting the sponsorship. Uh, We can't, we can't continue with this relationship of giving you this much money because it's not justified on the back end because nobody's watching. Could that be something we could be looking at? Yeah. And I think, you know, you could even be looking at some, some leads trying to do some unique things, um, you know, through that television, you know, uh, you know, partnerships, you know, the NFL just, just redid their, their streaming deal with, with Amazon and Twitch. Um, they re-upped that, you know, so the NFL's look, obviously from a TV standpoint is, is obviously the big, the big dog in the bunch. Um, you know, major league baseball, they rely on so much, you know, from their gate revenues, they play 162 games a year, you know, 81 home games, you know, NFL's playing, you know, eight regular season home games, you know, some, maybe some playoff games and two preseason games. Um, that's nothing. You know, NBA, NHL are, are around 40, you know, to 44 each um, with obviously extended playoffs. So, so the TV is a huge, huge market, um, especially in the NFL. Um, and if you don't have the atmosphere, um, you know, with, with people in the seats, um, you know, that's, that's only going to change some things. I think one thing that uh, maybe could, could possibly looked at as a supplemental, you know, uh, revenue source is, is gambling. Um, you know, thankfully it's, 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 it's legal now and, in a lot of U.S. states, and I think that could be a huge, huge benefit um, to the leagues where you're trying to increase fan engagement, um, and you don't have that atmosphere that you normally would have in the stadium. Um, that break, you know, fantasy football obviously is a fan engagement piece. Gambling, it's an engagement piece in some capacity. Um, you know, mobile phones, mobile devices. Um, you know, something that keeps fans, you know, kind of, you know, tuned in, and uh, and certainly, um, you know tuned in for long stretches of times. Um, and then at certain times of the games, you know, live betting, um, you know, does that, does that keep fans engaged at a higher rate than it, than it normally would? Um, you know, if the NBA can come back and, you know, put their playoffs on or major league baseball, you know, very similarly to, you know, putting, you know, maybe a hundred, you know, hundred game season back, you know, how, how much does gambling pay? And, and do the leagues then look at some of these gambling, you know, some of these sports books as look, you know, we want to be in the, in that business as well, too. We want, we want to earn some revenue and you've heard leagues talk about that in the past, you know, whether it's an integrity fee or whatever it might be. Um, this might be a way to open up that discussion and, and see where, you know, leads can certainly benefit from, from legalized uh, sports betting. 
this is going to be the, the future of professional sports. It's going to be like OTB, right? Do they still have OTBs out in New York? They don't. <laughs> they used to when I was a kid, but they don't have those anymore. No. That's going to be, that's going to be Major League Baseball in the NFL. It's like no one's going to be in the stands, but you can watch a game, a bunch of dudes, a bunch of derelicts just gathered in a room betting on games. That's going to be <laughs> professional sports as we know it. Hopefully not. We return to some level of normalcy. Hey, really quick, it has nothing to do with professional but it has nothing to do with the economics of sports, but just to get your feedback on the Aaron Rodgers scenario and the Green Bay Packers drafting, moving up in the draft in that first round to get Jordan Love. Anything jump out at you? Yeah, it does jump out at me. You know, what jumps out at me is that, um, you know, is that the, the Green Bay Packers um, are probably going to look a lot like the San Francisco 49ers, the team that beat them in the uh, NFC Championship game last year. You know, a run-first offense. Um, you know, certainly Aaron Rodgers, you know, has done his deal recently. Um, but I think, you know, look, uh, you know, their head coach, their new head coach, Matt LaFleur, um, who's in, going into his second year now, um, wants to make sure that this is, you know, his roster and, you know, his team. Um, and, you know, drafting a quarterback like Jordan Love, you're drafting him for the future. He's cheap. Um, you know, he's, he's on a rookie deal, so he's going to be cheap. And, you know, maybe you get Aaron for two more years and, you know, then, you know, you look to, you know, bring in, uh, you know, Jordan Love as as a starter and, you know, let him learn from Aaron Rodgers and see where he's at in year three. Um, you know, very similar to a situation that Aaron Rodgers went through. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers went through, you know, much longer. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, they can say all they want that the draft pick doesn't mean anything, but, but clearly, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, he's a big part of that franchise, but, but certainly, um, you know, he is uh, a piece that can be swapped out for someone else. You know, look, if Brady can go somewhere else after 20 years, you know, Aaron Rodgers certainly can. Maybe it'll be, you know, Bill Belichick, New England, you know, three years down the road. Um, you know, he's – what's Aaron Rodgers now, 34, 35, something like that? Uh, I'm not sure if he, he might be. And he's got that four-year, $134 million deal that he just inked not long ago. So that, that whole thing is going to be really strange playing out. And you know he's pissed. This is not – Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what wrangles me. This, how this is going to work going forward with him. We already know how passive-aggressive he can yeah. be. Yeah, he's definitely a passive-aggressive guy. I mean – you know, the, the Packers, look, the Packers have an out in 2022, right? So it's 2020, so they, they do have an out in 2022. Okay. Um, you know, contractually they have an out, um, you know, where they'd be paying him um, up until that point. So, you know, maybe that's something that they see in the future. Um, you know, it's it's certainly, um, you know, very, you know, very, very unique. I think one other unique situation was Jalen Hurts to Philadelphia, oh, yeah. um, you know, early on in the draft. I mean, you know, I think Philadelphia did it for a number of reasons. One, you know, they see a skill set that they really, really like to work with, with Jalen Hurts. Um, and also the same thing, you know, you have a quarterback under, you know, salary control under a cheap rate, um, you know, for, for, you know, a period of time. Um, but, you know, he's going to be a guy they want to get in the field, you know, early on um, in a number of different, you know, scenarios, throwing the ball, running the ball, um, you know, probably some, you know, two quarterbacks on the field at one time. And I think, you know, looking at Carson Wentz, who's been injured, you know, just about, um, it was missed time, I should say, every year, um, you know, whether he has significant injuries or, or minor injuries, he's missed time, um, you know, whether a lot or a little, um, you know, the backup quarterback position is a, is a very important role when it's, um, you know, when it's a team that can win, you know, or compete to win a Super Bowl. Um, 
And I just see, you know, one of the things I see in the future is that the Eagles prepare for life after him. You know, if he pulls, you know, an Andrew Luck type thing, he just gets so banged up that, you know, he's, he's forced into an early retirement. Um, you know, having Jalen Hurts there, you know, under, you know, salary control is not a bad thing at all. Um, that's actually a, a really good thing in that, in that sense. So those were certainly two uh, quarterback scenarios that, that I thought were interesting. Um, and yeah, certainly. The Jalen Hurts, I guess I can digest that a little bit better because what you just laid out, the, yeah. the injury history with Carson Wentz. And also you can get Hurts on the field. He can be a Taysom Hill and put him in a slot or just get the ball in his hands because he's so electrifying. But I guess when you think about Jordan Love, is it, yeah, he could sit and learn at one of the best in Aaron Rodgers. But by the time, I mean, you know, when you're three years into it, his rookie contract is up and he can go anywhere. It's going to be sort of like that of a Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo. Yep. Whatever it is, it just doesn't make sense on a lot of levels. No, no, we're not privy to. Yeah, no, I mean it, it doesn't make sense when you just look at it on the face value, and then the, you know to draft a running back in the second round. Then, right, um, you know, you know, obviously you got Aaron Jones there. Kind of signifies to me that hey, look, we're going to be running the ball a lot. Um, you know, we didn't give Aaron Rodgers, you know, a real weapon until they drafted the, the tight end from you know Cincinnati in the third round, who. Uh, you know, third round. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a good pick, but um, you know, you don't really know what you're getting with a third round tight end, you know, we're off the bat at least, um, you know, so yeah, significant, you know, I, I think it's certainly a significant signal, you know, maybe they look at Jordan Love and say, all right, you know, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, scenario, look, you know, he could be a, you know, could be a quarterback of the future. Um, you know, if, if things work out for Aaron, you know, maybe it, it takes the same shape as, as Brady did. And, you know, you kind of find the next guy after Jordan Love then. Um, you know, when you, you trade Jordan Love away for some picks, uh, some capital, um, you're taking a page out of Bill Belichick's book there. Um, and you find the next guy a couple of years down the road. Uh, but it'll certainly be interesting with, with how it's digested uh, within that front, you know, that front office, that coaching oh. staff, and, and certainly Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I mean, how many years has it been since that franchise has drafted a skilled position player in that first round? You're thinking, okay. It's a long time. This it's a really is long time. Year. This is the year that I've heard some people say that this is the deepest draft ever in the history of the draft in terms of wide receivers. Wide receivers, but yeah. Aaron Rodgers has got to be thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to get somebody. And they draft a quarterback, and they moved up to draft a quarterback. I don't know, man. There, there's going to be a chapter two to this in Green Bay. Rest assured that we haven't heard the last of Aaron Rodgers when it comes to what just took place last week. Sure. No, we will not. Absolutely, there's a chapter two. For sure. All right, Matt. Well, let's uh, circle back next week, and we'll find out what's happening in the world of sports when it comes to sports and business, hence the name of the show. Give them the sports biz for Danabone in San Francisco. Saying so long for now for Matt Marino out in Manhattan. We'll catch up next week. And until then, have a good week, everybody. See you, Dan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.